0: Thank God. So I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Colossians. Here in our part of Canada, summer vacations are almost like a religion. I mean, it's like you have to take a summer vacation. This is kind of like when we were going to invite a guest speaker for the July 1st weekend. It was, it was a, a step of faith because... You know, people just aren't around. I mean, there are churches that empty out in the summer. And, uh, you know, I understand you need to get away. And I understand that summer is so precious to us (laughs) that we don't want to lose a drop of it. Uh, But I'm glad you're here tonight. But what we're going to do is we're going to take a little vacation this summer. And we started last, well, two Wednesdays ago, because last Wednesday we had a special speaker, Pastor Brownie over here. Uh, But uh, we started two Wednesdays ago. We're gonna we're gonna take a summer vacation to the beautiful city of Colossae And we're gonna read through the book of Colossians this summer And see what God has to say if you were here a couple Wednesdays ago you found out That this city was not an important city in the world Um, It was very near some important cities, but the reason they got a letter Was probably twofold number one there were some major problems in the church and some things had to be corrected number two Uh, there was another letter going to a man named Philemon uh, regarding his um, servant or his slave named Onesimus. And so perhaps the Apostle Paul sent him at the same time, we don't know. But we do know that uh, this city will forever be known in our hearts because of this book. Now here's the deal. It's good to know backgrounds of where the letter was written and the churches where they came from. But what I do want you to hear is this: Even when you're reading the first three chapters of the Book of Revelation, all, there are seven churches that, that Jesus writes a letter to, seven different churches. And yet, in each and of of those letters, they're written directly to those churches. They deal with issues that those churches are going through. Yet, in each and every one of those letters, Jesus says the following: Let him who has ears to hear hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. What does that mean? Well, that means if Jesus said it to them. It's the living Word of God, and we can get something out of it. We don't just say, well, that was written to those guys. We say, okay, I can learn from this as well, because that's the great thing about Jesus. When He speaks, when God speaks, I mean, you can find, I mean, it, it applies to multiple situations. It cuts in multiple different ways. It is, it is living and active. It's not just a dead thought that was given 2,000 years ago. It is it's so relevant today. And so in the book of Colossians, we we didn't get through chapter 1 fully, Um, but where we ended up was in verse 13. Colossians 1, uh, where we read a couple weeks ago, uh, we really focused on the section of it that was talking about uh, the prayer that they would be filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, all spiritual uh, knowledge and wisdom and understanding uh, and, and the knowledge of His will, that being the main thing. the Knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And that you could be filled with the knowledge of His will for your life. You could be filled with the knowledge of His will for this time in history. That you may not know everything that He's doing. You may not know everything that's going on. But you are filled with the knowledge that I'm walking in the will of God. I, I may not know everywhere I'm going. But I do know I'm in the right place at the right time. And that you would have all spiritual wisdom and understanding to discern the will of God, to discern what's right and wrong, to discern what's His will and what's not. I found in my own life that the enemy, when I'm, when I'm supposed to go one direction, the enemy doesn't just throw a blockade in front of the door I'm supposed to go to. Sometimes he'll do that. But do you know, we've heard the word long enough that we know how to just put our head down and power through and blast that rock away, blast that boulder away. Do you know what he'll also do? He's tricky. Put a bunch of other doors that all look good. And just just put some appetizing looking doors all around. And you just walk through them because they look good. As a teenager, something amazing happens when you when you finally just decide it's all or nothing. If this is anything, this is everything. I'm just I'm going full out for Jesus. Cuz here's what happens. As soon as you make that decision, you just get on fire. And the reason I'm talking about teenagers is because um, they're new at the fact that somebody might want them to speak or somebody might want them to be a leader. And I remember being at that age and having all sorts of opportunities come up. And I had to learn because the first couple times I just thought, well, this is from God because nobody's ever asked me to speak before. This is from God because no one's ever asked me to be a leader before. But you have to realize that not every opportunity that comes is from God. There's gonna be a lot of false flags, a lot of fake doors and you've got to go through the one that God tells you to. That may mean that you don't immediately go down to the door that that means the bigger salary or or the door that that means a a better schedule. you just got to say, God, where do you want me to go? That is your best door. That's the best way to go through. So we believe that we'd be filled with that knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. But I want to to wrap up with um, the last few verses in the section we read last two weeks ago. And that's starting in verse 10. He says, the reason this all happens, the reason you need to be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding is so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share In the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, I want to focus on that last verse for a moment. That he has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So we're qualified to share in the inheritance that he died for. His inheritance he's sharing in. All of us saints are inheriting. All of us are part of this big inheritance. And he's the one that qualified us for it. He's the one that qualified you for heaven. He's the one that qualified you for a relationship with God right now. And all of these things you weren't fit for, you weren't qualified for, you didn't have the credentials for, but now through Him you do. This is good. So right now on earth, we truly can have a relationship with God that's just as real as if we were in heaven. Now there are things in heaven that will be different than they are on the earth because we know That on the earth we're still living in an earth and a world that's cursed. We're still living in a world that's full of sin and darkness. But that same life that we're going to experience is available to us. That same joy that we're going to experience is available to us. And while we may sense the struggle and the tension between light and darkness in this present age, we understand that we're fully equipped not only for this age but for the next. Can I tell you, If you were to just be transported to heaven and you were not fit for heaven, you'd be miserable there. You'd be lacking. I don't think you'd be able to stand in the presence of God. You might just explode or die. I don't know. But I know that God has not just gave you a ticket to heaven, but fit you for heaven. Qualified you for heaven. Designed you for heaven. That when you get there, it's going to feel like home. When you became born again, heaven... What is your home? You're citizens of heaven. And there's a constant longing in all of us and a knowledge in all of us that we're not quite home. The Bible talks about us as aliens and strangers and, and we see beauty in the world. We see things that remind us of home. We see character traits that remind us of home and we long for home. Paul said we groan. He says, in fact, all creation groans for this. He says he, he longed for his new body, he longed for his glorified body, he longed to be with Jesus. But in all of these things, we're equipped not only for the heaven part, but we're equipped for heaven on earth. We're equipped for God's presence in our very lives right now. We've been qualified by Jesus Christ. In the next verse he says this. He says, for he rescued us. Isn't that awesome? That's Past tense. It's past tense. Sometimes we call out God, rescue me, rescue me. He has rescued you. Now, He will yet rescue you from things. Apostle Paul said, He delivered us and will yet deliver us. But He has rescued you from the big problem, which was the domain of darkness. The domain of darkness means that domain means something has control. Something has dominion. Something has lordship. Dark, darkness had control over your life. You were bound to Darkness. You know, somebody who's blind does not choose not to see. They're just blind. They can't see. They don't choose the darkness. Blindness chose darkness for them. And before you knew Jesus, you were blind. You were stuck in darkness, in a, in a world of darkness. But here's the deal. He did not just rescue you from the domain of darkness, wickedness and perversion and all of those things. He transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son thank God God doesn't just take you out of something he takes you into something God didn't just call you out of something he called you into something he didn't just say old things have passed away he said new things have come He does not just tell the guy to stop stealing he says rather work with your hands so you have something to give you see God does not just leave you in limbo where you're no longer a bad person you're no longer in bondage you're no longer in darkness but he takes you out into something so much better Isn't that awesome? We've got to realize that that used to be our home. We were rescued out of there, but we weren't just rescued out, we were rescued in. We weren't just transferred out, we were transferred in. And he says, where we were transferred in was the kingdom of His beloved Son. Now, can you imagine how wonderful the kingdom of His Son is? The Bible says that the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but it's righteousness and peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That sounds great, doesn't it? We know the kingdom is full of love. We know the kingdom is full of light. Everything your heart longs for are things that you, you instinctively know in your new nature are from your home. This kingdom that we're talking about. Everything that you desire, everything that you really long for, I don't mean your flesh, I don't mean your brain, I mean your spirit, the things it cries out for are the things of the kingdom. There's a part of you now that, that is homesick. There's a part of you that, that, that longs for that. And you know what? The good thing is, we just don't have to wait to experience some of those things. There will be a day, thank God, when His kingdom rules over all and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Right now, that kingdom is an invisible kingdom. There will be a day when it becomes visible. The Bible talks about Jesus' ruling. He rules, and everything will be in subjection to Him. But Right now, it's an invisible kingdom that walks with you. It's a, it's a kingdom that lives in us. It's a kingdom where He does reign in us, and He does reign over the things. Now, now do we say, does, is God out of control? Does He not have power? Oh, He is control. He has power, but He has also given human beings freedom of choice and freedom of will, and so we still live in a world where somebody can walk into a theater and kill a bunch of people. And that was not God's will. We still live in a world where people can go to hell, and it's not God's will. For he said, I'm not willing that any should perish. So this kingdom is with us, and it's in advancing and enhancing. As as I understand it. Now, this is my understanding through my study of the scriptures. There's three different types of kingdoms that are referenced in the New Testament. Kingdom of God, I'm, I'm talking about. Three, three ways that that looks. Uh, when Jesus came, He offered a kingdom to Israel. But, just as the prophets said they would, they rejected their king. He wept over Jerusalem and said, Oh, Jerusalem, if you'd only known the things that would have brought you peace. There was a kingdom that He introduced through His teaching, the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven that followed his disciples, that followed him. And every new village they went into, he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he told them to go and announce the kingdom, tell the kingdom of God is near. And then he told them, do the things of the kingdom. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. Freely you've received and freely you've given. Cast out evil spirits. Because where he's king, there aren't other little kings. He's king. So if somebody was demon-possessed... To be demon-possessed means they were controlled by another Lord. They were controlled by another force. And when Jesus came and preached the kingdom to them, the kingdom not only came around them, but in them, and there was nothing else that could stand. Where Jesus was king, nothing else could be king. All these other things went away. We carry that with us. The other kingdom of, of God that we, we see, in the kingdom of heaven that we see, is a future kingdom to come. We believe that there is a time and a day where Jesus will rule and reign on this earth, and the lion will lay down with the lamb. Now, we don't see that yet, unless it's some sort of like petting zoo lion and lamb. Don't <laughs> you see that the world is, it's not just humans that fell when Adam sinned. All of creation fell. All of creation suffered because of our sin. I know that most species of mosquitoes don't suck human blood. There's a few species that do. A lot of mosquitoes suck sap out of trees. Could it be that when they were created, they weren't created for this? Could it be that there are things that have adapted and evolved in a a microevolution sense to survive in this messed up world, but they weren't originally created for that purpose, that somehow If the lion lays down with the lamb, the lion is just as happy as the lamb. Can you imagine a world where that exists? Where the lion's not like, I'm laying down with you because Jesus said I had to, but I would love to have a lamb chop right now. But in this new kingdom, he's going to be just as happy as the lamb. That's not what we're talking about tonight. But it is a thought that there is a kingdom, and there's a kingdom he transferred us into. It's not a future date this kingdom he's not talking about someday you'll be transferred to the kingdom and sweet by and by sweet Beulah land you're going to go on to the kingdom he says right now we're in the kingdom of his son thank God and it's an unshakable kingdom tonight what we're going to see in the book of Colossians see last last week we talked about his will in your life but tonight what we're going to see in the next few verses is the wonderful nature of Christ the wonderful a revelation of who he is because let me tell you straight up, the more you understand who Jesus is, the more you'll understand who you are. You can't get who you are until you get who he is. So here it's going to get good. I know you're going to love it because this is one of the most beautiful parts of all scripture. He says not only did he rescue us from the domain of darkness, he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In verse 14 he says, in whom we have. Is that past, present, or future? That's very present, isn't it? In whom we have redemption. Now when you have something, you don't beg for it. When you have something, you don't hope for it. When you have something, you don't pray for it. You have redemption. There will be a redemption of your body. You still live in this old sack of meat that will die. Unless Jesus comes first, it will die. And he'll redeem that body and you'll get a glorified body. We know that. But the you that counts, you just live in a body. That's not who you are. The you that counts, the spirit that is you, has been redeemed. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Thank God we have the forgiveness of sins. Thank God we've been bought back. We've been redeemed. And when Jesus died, he didn't just redeem us. He bought back all of creation. Yes, it's kind of cool that man sinned in a garden and Jesus busted out a tomb in the garden. It's yes. yes. Kind of neat that he does things like that. Here's what he says. He is, I love that. You know, all through the Bible, God says, I am. I am. And when Jesus said, I am. He said it a few times. One time, he said, "Before Abraham was, I am." And he gave them a, t- a tip, a hint to who he really was. They didn't see him for what he was. When the soldiers came to get him, they said, "We seek Jesus of Nazareth." He said, "I am." They fell down. They got. He let them get it back up and said it again, "I am." Knocked him down. He was. Uh, Jesus did not just become created. When Mary had a baby. He has been since the beginning of creation. He has always existed. Now he hasn't been walking around on the planet since the beginning of creation. But he's always been. What I mean by walking around on the planet, I mean he hasn't always had flesh and blood. He took that on for us. But he's always been. The Bible says in John 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. Now, look what he says. He says, He is the image of the invisible God. It also says in the book of John, No one has seen God, but Jesus explained them to us. Jesus said to his disciples, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. They said, We want to see the Father. What does he look like? He said, If you've seen me, you've seen him. In other words, he looks exactly like me. This is the most wonderful thing. This is why Jesus is for every nation the solution, for every tribe, for every tongue. He is the answer because every person on the face of the planet has longed to know who God was. And because they didn't know any better, they began to create God by the things they saw in their own image, in the image of beasts and animals, in the image of of, of nature. They didn't see... That it was God that created those things. God didn't look like those things. He created those things. So we tried to create God in an image we could understand. Have you ever read Greek mythology? They're not perfect. Why? Because the people that created them weren't perfect. They all had flaws. They all were messed up. Because they were created. We created gods in our own image. As Paul said, those are no gods at all. In fact, not just Paul said that. Uh, One of Paul's adversaries in Ephesus said, he's trying to convince us that gods made with human hands are no gods at all. It's amazing to to know that all all throughout life, no matter how smart we get, if you really dig down, everybody wants to know, who is God? What's he like? Bible says here Jesus is the image of the invisible God God is invisible Jesus was made visible so we could see him and the word image here means two things it means that he showed us what God looked like it also means that he was the perfect representation of God he was the perfect ambassador to show you what God looked like to show you how God acted Now, that comes into play in our theology and our understanding of God when you start saying God would do this and God would do that, but you can't see it where Jesus would have done the same thing. Because you see, um, there's a reason that Jesus showed the power of God very specifically. Do you know, if the the only point of Jesus' miracles were to prove that He was the Son of God, don't you think He could have done something else besides heal people and cast out evil spirits and raise the dead? You know, he could have, like, knocked a mountain down. He could have, like, caused a, a, a star to just fly across the sky and, and knock a building down. He could have caused all those things to happen, yeah. sun stands still. He could have caused the, you know, the, he could have caused the, uh, the Sea of Galilee to just, you know, form a funnel and come back down again. But there's a reason that he proved he was God by doing the things that God would do. By displaying not just the power of God, but the heart of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? He didn't, just exp- he didn't just show us that God was powerful. He showed us how God acted. What God cared about. When He healed the sick, He showed us that God desires the sick to be healed. When He cast out evil spirits, He showed us that God desired for us to be free. When He brought the gospel to the poor, He showed us that God cares for the least of these just as much as the important people and that He desired for all of them to be cared and fed and, and know that He is their Father. And all of these things, Jesus did not just show us that He was as powerful as God. He showed us the heart of God and in such, He was the perfect image of God. And we know what God is like now because we looked at Jesus and saw what He was like. He's the image of the invisible God. the Firstborn of all creation. How wonderful is that? He was before all things. He can't be described as a created being because all things were created through Him. But He's the firstborn in the same sense that in that day and age, the firstborn had firstborn rights, was, was above all things, had, had seniority. And as much as we have the Spirit of Jesus Christ, as much as we carry the authority of His name, we're not going to be the same as Jesus. We're going to be the same as we walk the earth. We're going to do what He did. He said, greater works than these will you do. We're going to carry His authority. We carry His love. We carry His Spirit. But you know what? He's always going to be the firstborn of all creation. He's always going to be the head of the body. And that's a good thing. We don't want to take that away. He says... For by Him all things were created. Is anything left out? By Him all things were created. So He is the Creator. He's there since the beginning. By Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. So here's the deal, and we talked about this a few months ago, but I realize that now we're reading through the book of Colossians, we're going to see it again. We're realizing that Jesus did not just come along at 2,000 years ago, and this is his, first, his, this is his first big introduction to the world. He's been around since the beginning of time, since, right. since the, before the beginning. God has always been fully God. The Trinity has always been the Trinity. And so in these things it says all things were created by him through him and for him. And we talked about this before that this is basically saying he is the center of everything. He's the point of everything. Because let's think about it, everything created by him. Every created thing created through him. So by his power, by his strength, by his mind, And everything created for him. That means everything that was ever created, its purpose was for him. I want you to think about something. This is a question I asked a little bit ago too. What's the purpose of life? Why were you created? Because, you know, I used to answer it this way. I used to say, well, I think I'm created to tell people about Jesus. And that's true. But why were humans created? Because when Adam was created... There was no sin. So you weren't created to try to get people saved when no one needed to be saved. You see, being born again is the starting line, not the finish line. It's the beginning to life, not the end of life. Right? So why was man created? If he was created without sin and without need for rescuing in the beginning, what was his purpose? Now you could say, you know, he was given the purpose to tend the garden, take care of the earth. But there's a reason he was given that purpose, right? Because God could have done that himself. It's not like God was like, I I just don't feel like taking care of this. I need to create somebody to take care of this. God gave man that task because man needed a task because he was created in the likeness of God. And just like God is a creator, he created man to be a creator and a tender and a nurturer. But in all these things, what was the original purpose? original purpose was relationship it's why we were created I mean it was why we were put here is why why man stuck on the planet in the first place and he was given a task he was given a wife he was given all these things but the reason he was put the reason man or woman the reason you were originally created humanity was created for relationship with God now when we say our purpose is to get people born again why Because the Bible says that the message of the gospel is reconciliation between God and man. We want to get people born again so that they can start life. Life begins when you're back together with God. That's where man started out and that's where you're going to start your new life is to say I'm back together with God. The source of love, the source of life, the source of joy, the source of peace, the source of every good thing. And so this is the point of life, is to be near God. Is to be not just near God, but, but connected. And the reason we get people born again is so they can be reconnected with God. But that's only the beginning. That's the starting line. That's where Adam started. That was not the finish line. God didn't put him on the planet and say, Someday you're going to confess me as Lord and Savior. Someday you're going to know me. No, he was created already knowing God. Being talking with God, and walking with Him and, and doing what God would do if God was taking care of the planet. I hope I'm not losing you here, but the thought being that we were created for Him. The mountains, as much as we enjoy them, we enjoy them because He enjoys them. So we get pleasure because He gets pleasure. We're created in His image. There's a great verse in Job where the Leviathan, who is this great beast that, that many have said is a, is a dinosaur that lives in the ocean. I, I don't know exactly what it looked like, but it talks about some, some pretty weird beasts in the book of Job, and they sure look like dinosaurs to me. I love dinosaurs growing up, and I compare my book of dinosaurs with the book of Job, and I go, that looks about right. And one of them, In this description, it basically says that God created this thing just to watch it play. Can you imagine? God likes to watch this thing play in the ocean. People are terrified of it, but God just likes to watch it play. Can you ever imagine the things we like, we like for a reason? And everything on earth, now you see, the world has been perverted and twisted and corrupted. Corrupted. Sin has twisted things. Sin has perverted things. Oh, God created such good things. Man, He created such good things. All oh, the intimacy between a man and a woman was, was, I mean, not only was a beautiful thing in itself, but it showed us so much about why God created us in the first place. About the fact that when man and woman were created, they were one before they were separate. And, and all of these things, sin perverted, turned it into something disgusting and dirty, but it's, it's not disgusting and dirty when, when you do it God's way and you understand that He created it for a reason. When God created grapes. He didn't create it so people got drunk. When God created all of these wonderful things, He said they were good. And He delighted in them and we delighted in them. And all things were created by Him, through Him for him let's read the rest of this and we're going to get back we're going to loop back to that it says this he is before all things and in him all things hold together the planet works because he is here because his word that created the universe is the same word that holds it together there I mean You may have grown up thinking that the Big Bang theory is not compatible with a Christian belief, but I'm going to tell you, when God said, let there be light, when God created planets, he created it with his word. And I don't believe that that word ever stopped. That word kept creating. And there's a reason that the scientists look at the universe and say, we don't understand it, but it continues to expand. Because his word doesn't stop until he tells it to stop. And apparently he hasn't told it to stop. He says this. He is also the head of the body, the church. Thank God. He is the beginning. The firstborn from the dead. Now, we called him firstborn before because he's before all things and he takes preeminence. But here we see he's the firstborn of the dead because when he rose from the dead, never to die again, never to experience death, he was the first one to make that new and living way that completely destroyed death. And we follow in his footsteps of resurrection. As he died and defeated death, now we may lay our body down, but never will taste death again and experience the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is cool. So he's the firstborn of the dead. So that he himself, he himself, does that sound like he's including anybody else here? He himself. It sounds like a kid that says, that's my present, this is my party, it's my cake. He himself. Will come to have first place in what? Everything. In everything. <laughs> for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. This is good. And through him, through Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself. And having made peace through the blood of the cross, through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, Yet He has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death in order to present you, whoa, before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. This isn't just a cleaned up version of you. This is a perfect version. And He's going to present you before God and He's not going to be ashamed. The Bible talks about this in Ephesians 5 and it says that this is how God, this is how Christ is going to present His bride Pure, holy, blameless, without spot or blemish. God, Jesus is not going to have to make excuses. We talk about this as if if the church would get their act together, we'd be that church without spot or blemish. But I'm going to tell you that this is, goes even beyond that. Because if we got our act together and bid the, did the best we possibly could do, in our own self, we would still be spotted. This is talking about a complete cleaning that has not a trace of spot or blemish. And this comes through Jesus Christ and His blood alone. And He's going to present us and He's going to be proud of us. He's not going to be like that guy that brings the bride home and He says, "Guys, she'll grow into her task. We'll dress her up. We'll put some makeup on her. He's going to look at us and He's going to be proud. When He presents us for God, He's going to be proud of you. He's gonna, he's gonna look at you and God's gonna look over look at you and he's gonna look at you very closely because he is perfect and he has perfect eyesight, 2020. <laughs> he's gonna examine you so carefully, more than you've ever been examined before. He's going to look at every aspect of you, every nook, every crevice, every crack, and do you know what he's going to find? Spotless perfection. You are going to be fully examined and not found wanting, not found lacking, but found perfect because of the blood of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever thought this, but the closer somebody looks at you, the more they examine, the more self-conscious you become. The more you think they're going to find something. Oh, I should have brushed my teeth better. I should have, I should have, I should have uh, ironed this shirt. But when God takes His good look at you on that day, He looks you up and down. He examines every part of you. You, you feel His eyes probing. The Bible says in the book of Jude, He will make us able to stand. To stand blameless with great joy. You're going to be examined and you're not going to mind. You're going to be examined and you're not going to be ashamed or self-conscious because Jesus has completely made you spotless and blameless and pure and holy. Now, I can't wait for that day. Some dread that day, guys. But you have no need to dread that day. There'll be a different accounting where we account for every idle word and deed, the things we could have done. We'll probably find out some things we could have done. Some things we should have done. But when the time comes to find out if you're perfect and holy, there won't be a spot. This is a good thing. This is His bride. and This comes through the reconciliation of God. It says, you'll be holy and blameless beyond reproach if indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made minister. Now, it's just saying that... Now, realize there's a verse in Hebrews that says almost the same thing. It says, we have become partakers with Christ if we endure to the end. I want you to see how that word, how that sentence is worded. It says, we have become partakers with Christ here it says we have redemption the forgiveness of sins that's all present and past right it says we have become partakers with Christ if we endure to the end now some people read that and say the only way you're gonna partake with Christ is if you endure but then it would say we will partake with Christ if we endure to the end it says we have if we've endured in other words the endurance is not the thing that qualifies you it's the thing that proves that you were qualified Do you understand what I'm saying it, it proves that you had a piece of Christ. It proves that you were a partaker with Christ because, you know, no matter what happened, you still endured. Doesn't mean you didn't ever make a mistake. Doesn't mean you ever, never slipped up. But you never relented in your faith. You always hung on to Him. And, and, and even when things went bad, even when you did something stupid, even when you sinned, you were still putting your trust and hope in Jesus. And I've talked to people that, that looked at me and said, "I don't understand, even at my darkest day, I, I tried. I tried to say, "I don't believe this anymore, but I couldn't do it." I said, "Well, it's because you're his. It's because you're purchased. It's because you've got a mark on you and you can't get rid of it. As hard as you try, you're his." Now, let's go back. Here, this is a big deal, guys, because when we talked about this, I believe it, it was a sermon called Healthy Obsession. We talked about how good it is to be obsessed with Jesus. Do you know when people are obsessed with stuff, we, we generally want to have an intervention, right? Because it's, you shouldn't be obsessed with things. Uh, by definition, it means that it's, it's unhealthy because it takes a balance away from your life. It's an unhealthy balance in your life. you like McDonald's cheeseburgers so much that you have them every day, Intervention. Definitely, (laughs) if all you do 10 hours a day is watch Simpsons reruns, intervention, if all you want to do is go take care of your lawn, that may be a good thing, but that's all you do all day every day, intervention. It's an unhealthy balance, right? But what if we just discovered the center of the universe? The point of the universe, the point that of everything in creation, everything was created by him, through him, and for him. That everything exists because of him. Now, it's unhealthy for you not to be obsessed with this. As this is like saying, this is like saying I'm a little weirded out. The earth is so obsessed with the sun that it keeps going round and round the sun. What is so great about the sun that the earth keeps going round and round? Why don't we form, form our own orbit? Why don't, why don't planets orbit around us like the moon does? Why don't we make ourselves the center? Well, that's, life would not be supported like that, would it? The sun is the center of our galaxy, so we of our solar system. And so we, we circle around the sun and life is sustained, life is kept. Well, in the same sense, your life as a human being, you've got to realize that everything starts to make sense when you realize why I was created, right? we talked about this before. If I took this guitar pick and I sat at the drums and I tried to play a beautiful drum solo with a guitar pick, it's very difficult. I could give Randy the guitar pick and as skilled as he was, I'd tell him, use nothing but this guitar pick to play the drums. It's not going to sound very good because this thing was not created to play those things. It's got a design and a function that is shaped and formed, and everything from the shape to the, to the materials used, to the flexibility, all, everything, even this little hole in the middle, keeps it from slipping out of my fingers when my th- thumbs get sweaty. So everything desi- th- about this thing was designed to play the guitar. When I play the guitar, it works. When I play the drums, it doesn't work, because it wasn't created for that. So everything in your life makes sense when you realize, why was I created? Everything you have starts to make sense when you realize, why was it created? I was created by God, by by Him, through Him, and for Him. Christ is the center of my life because that's what I was created for. All of a sudden life starts to make sense and everything that, that is out of whack, everything that doesn't quite fit is, because, is it's really because it, 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 it hasn't found its purpose. We don't know why it is there. We don't know what its real purpose is. If you don't have something in your life that's just messing you up, it's throwing you off balance, it's probably because you don't know why you have it. You either need to get rid of it or find its real purpose in your life. Life's only going to make sense when we believe this verse. Everything was created by him, through him, and for him. And when he goes on to say, the whole point of this is that he might come to have first place in everything. First place in everything. There's nothing left out of that. First place in our job, first place in home, first place at church, first place in everything we do. And if that happens, stuff finally fits again. Life makes sense again. It's not going to feel like you're just struggling to try to figure out how everything works together. Because when you know the purpose of everything, why it's there, why I'm here, why am I here, God? When you believe this verse, you find out you were here because of Him. He created you. You were created by Him. You were created through Him. And you were created for Him. Life starts to make sense when he finds first place in everything. I daily examine my life to make sure everything in my life matches these verses. I should say, I endeavor to daily examine my life. There are days in my life where I forget to think about it. Examine your life and say, does it match with this? Now understand this. If God created an animal just to watch it play, it's okay for you to play. It's okay to have fun. There's a reason you have fun. The reason God created you with the ability to have fun. Adam had fun before sin was around. But line everything up with this. Does it match this? Is he first place in everything? Is he the center of everything I do? This really comes into play not in just what you look at your life, not only what you have, but in what you do and the decisions you make. Every decision. I mean, really, you begin to to, to find out more about people's lives during the changes and the decisions in their life than than just the everyday humdrum of life. You know what I mean? If I want to know what you're about, I won't watch just what you do every day. I'll really see what you're made of when you start making some decisions. When you make a turn left or right, you start to see what people are really made of. Why you made that decision. Why you married who you married. Why you went to the school you went to. Why you cut off that relationship. Why you started that relationship. Why you moved to this town. Why you took that job. I don't think I'm looking at you judging your life. But we should be judging our lives. Judging it by his standard and saying it matches up with this because when you do, you're going to find joy. When you find your purpose, you find joy. That's a guarantee. My purpose is for him. I was created by him. I was created through him. And I was created for him. If I had a pony, that pony was created by him, through him, and for him. And maybe God gave me that pony because he loved me so much, he wanted me to enjoy that pony but He's still the center of that relationship. He's the center of my marriage. He's the center of my relationship with my son. He's the center of my um, call and my gift. Why I stand here is because of that very verse. What I want you to walk away with tonight, I realize we've gone through some deep stuff and some shallow stuff, but what I want you to walk away with tonight is the beauty of Christ. A revelation of Christ and to understand that He is the image of God. He was there since the beginning. Everything that was created was created for a reason and hell had to do with Him. The reason the world is so off axis, the reason the world is so twisted and perverted is because they lost the center of everything which was Him. And our job as believers Is first to make sure our relationship and every relationship and everything in our life lines up with that. He's the center. And the next thing we do is to have that message, that word of reconciliation, and go to all of our friends and family and strangers and say, as though God were making an appeal through us, be reconciled to God. You don't know what you're missing. This is life. Jesus said this. Oh, man. He said, this is eternal life. Oh, this was a prayer that he was praying. He said, this is eternal life that they may know you. They know the one you sent. This is life to know him. I I don't want to get over emotional. I don't want to be... I don't want to manipulate you. I don't want, I don't want to, to, to deceive you here. But I've got to tell you the only purpose in life, the only thing worth living for, the only thing worth being obsessed, the only reason to wake up in the morning is Him. You guys, we, we, this Christianity does not work halfway. It doesn't work three quarters of the way. As long as, I mean, this is something we call cognitive dissonance. When you do one thing and you believe another. Another. It tears you apart. The only way that life will ever make sense and find purpose and meaning and joy is if He's at the very center and at the very top. Man, we believe this, right? We talk about this. But I'm not saying on Sunday and Wednesday nights. I'm talking about everything we do. Center and the top. And we realize that everything was created for Him and by Him and through Him. Oh, we, we Suddenly the world makes sense. And you would say, no, the, the world doesn't make sense. Then why did he create this? And Why is there evil and why is there harm? That's because we sinned. And those things that were created for him were separated from him. And they lost their purpose. They lost their connection. And so they're messed up and perverted. When we sinned, guys, when Adam sinned, the ocean got messed up. When Adam sinned, the stars got messed up when Adam sinned, the animals got messed up. But can I tell you that from the moment that happened, God had a restorative, redemptive plan. Everything. There will be a day when those animals go back to their real purpose. There will be a day when there are no more hurricanes and tornadoes. There's no no more tsunamis, no more volcanoes that destroy But everything will come back to its created purpose. But do you know what everything's waiting for? Us. Our redemption is sons, the Bible says. All creation awaits and groans for our redemption as sons. We are the ones that messed it up. Jesus is the one that took the place of Adam. When Adam messed everything up by one act, Jesus made every sin perfect by his act. Not every sin perfect. Every sinner perfect, thank God. He fixed everything. And now our job is to follow, be forgiven, be redeemed, and walk in His steps, and be ministers of reconciliation. Bring the world back. Now, not everybody will be brought back. But thank God, we're going to get a lot of them. I want you to examine your life. I want you to examine our church what we do, what we say. I want us to examine our families, our habits, everything from the fun activities we do to the work we do. I want us to put everything under the microscope of this and line it up with this verse and say, does it match? Don't do it under condemnation. Don't do it in in a, a cloud of shame and guilt. Do it as righteous people judging righteously. Does this match? If it doesn't, cut it out. If you're missing things in your life, trust God that he'll add them. Life's about to make sense when it lines up with the center of the universe, Jesus Christ.